Welcome to the market sponsored by the CME Group. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, November 30. Hello again, and welcome to our weekly get-together to take a look at markets along with Max Armstrong. I'm Orion Samuelson, and uh, the end of the month could be quite an important one in the light of several things that are coming to fruition. We're still going to be waiting, of course, for results of the presidential discussion in Buenos Aires, Argentina, between President Trump and Chinese President Jinping Jing. But uh, we already know a couple of other deals that have been on the table that we have been waiting for are coming to fruition. The uh, new NAFTA talks should be put together uh, before the week is out. And uh, then the farm bill. All of a sudden, we have a farm bill that may make it to the president's desk in time for not having to write a new farm bill in the new year under the new Congress. So quite a time going on right now in the market world, but certainly this week, the markets have their focus on Argentina. And almost every day you heard comments from somebody that's close to the uh, conference and the dinner uh, expressing thoughts and ideas. But as I said before, I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen, including the principals, the two presidents. I think we'll all have to wait to see that. So anyway, let's look at today as we ended the month of November. Wall Street rose today. Investors hope for progress on trade in the U.S.-China meeting over the weekend. And the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ posted their biggest weekly percentage gains in nearly seven years. The Dow saw its largest weekly advance in two years. Investors encouraged this week by comments by Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell and subsequent minutes from the central bank's latest meeting that suggested that the Fed will take a data-driven rather than ideological approach to future rate hikes. And all three major U.S. indices recorded modest monthly percentage gains for November. Now, a Chinese official said consensus is steadily increasing in trade negotiations between the U.S. and China as the G20 meeting got underway in Buenos Aires today, sparking hopes there would be a positive resolution in the ongoing tariff dispute between the world's two largest economies. President Trump set to meet with his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping tomorrow, and the outcome could swing stocks for the rest of the year. One analyst said the three key issues that people are really focusing on are how dovish is the Fed going to be going forward, how are trade relations with China going to play out, and what's going on in the oil market. But as we get better news, that's helped with the markets, and that's why we're seeing a weak hike, uh, a week like this week. And so at the end of the trading day, the Dow Industrial Average up 199 points to end the day and the week and the month at 25,538. 
The S&P gained 22 points to end at 2760, and the NASDAQ Composite added 57 points to end the week at 7330. But let's take a look at the weekly and the monthly action on Wall Street. For the week, the S&P 500 rose 4.8%, the Dow went up 5.1%, and the Nasdaq rose 5.6%. Then looking at the uh, weekly gains, the S&P 500 posted the biggest weekly percentage gain in seven years, the Dow posted the biggest weekly gain in two years, and the NASDAQ posted the biggest weekly gain in seven years. And for the month, the S&P rose 1.8%, the Dow rose 1.7%, and the NASDAQ rose just a third of a percent. Shares of Marriott International dropped 5.5% today after the hotel operator said hackers stole about 500 million records from its Starwood Hotels reservation system, and General Electric shares slid 5.5%. Following a Wall Street Journal report that former employees are being questioned by federal investigators about the company's failure to acknowledge its insurance business worsening results over the years. So that's what happened today. Now, let's take a look ahead to next week. Oh, before we do that, let's check the oil market because that's been a newsmaker this week as well. And oil today edged lower due to concerns of oversupply and a strong dollar. But losses were limited by expectations that the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries would agree to some form of production cuts next week. The Brent crude futures for the day down 80 cents a barrel to settle at $58.71. U.S. crude dropped 52 cents or 1% to $50.93 a barrel. Now, let's take a look at what's ahead for the week. First of all, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell will testify on the economic outlook before the Congressional Joint Economic Committee on Wednesday, and on Thursday he will give his brief welcome remarks before the Housing Assistance Council Rural Housing Conference in Washington. OPEC countries and Russia will gather in Vienna on Thursday for a two-day meeting to discuss output policy. And then Google Sundar Pichai, the CEO, will testify to the House Judiciary Committee on the company's transparency of the alphabet unit's counter-filtering practices. In September, he he had agreed to testify before the panel over Republicans' concerns that the company is biased against conservatives after it skipped a high-profile Senate hearing. Google has denied it is biased toward conservatives. Federal Reserve will issue its so-called Beige Book. That's a compendium of anecdotes on the health of the economy 
drawn from the central bank sources across the nation. On Wednesday, the Labor Department's closely watched monthly employment report on Friday is expected to show the unemployment rate steady at a 49-year low of 3.7%. And according to a Reuters survey of economists, non-farm payrolls out on Friday probably dropped by about 50,000 to 200,000 jobs in November. And on Wednesday, the ADP National Employment Report expected to show private sector employment rising by 195,000 jobs. Again, this week, Federal Reserve Regional Presidents will be on the road uh, speaking at various meetings. Kroger Company expected to report an increase in quarterly revenue on Thursday. The supermarket chain's results are likely to be helped by an expansion in tie-ups with delivery services such as Instacart, and investors will also keep a close eye on the company's restock Kroger store remodeling program, which Kroger said would hamper sales for the rest of the year. Dollar General Corporation expected to post an increase in third quarter sales as its efforts to boost traffic with store renovations and expanded product offerings, particularly in consumable products, will it and is it paying off. While American Eagle Outfitters is expected to report same-store sales growth for the third quarter on Wednesday, all eyes will be on the apparel retailer's forecast for the crucial holiday selling season as it continues to spend heavily on the expansion of its airy brand of lingerie. So a lot coming up next week, but again, it's going to be um, focused on what happens in Buenos Argentina over this Saturday night following the dinner. We are going to talk uh, agricultural markets. Max Armstrong will be checking in with Brian Basting to do that when we continue on the markets, sponsored by the CME Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Brian Basting joins us this weekend to talk about some of the factors behind the markets and some of the things that uh, that he's watching. Obviously, trade is first and foremost at the top of the list and what happens in our trade relationships around the world. And then we're still watching weather. Um, first of all, it's rather remarkable when you drive down the road how much crop you see in the field yet in some places. Ohio, Michigan, northern Illinois, North Dakota, North Carolina. There's still crop standing in the field. 
Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Max. I think we want to recognize those areas as, as still areas that need to, need to finish this 18 harvest. As you mentioned, North Dakota, we work with some customers up there. Got some corn they're working on up there. Michigan is another area that's still got some corn and beans to work on. And some other areas you highlighted, too, Ohio, Indiana, and, of course, in North Carolina with the soybean crop. So, yeah, this 18 harvest is not wrapped up quite yet. As of a week ago, I think there was still about 20% of the corn in the field in North Dakota. Now, Michigan, Ohio, quite often by this late date, you'll still see standing crop out there. Uh, but that's a little bit of an uneasy feeling, isn't it? Especially as roads have gotten muddy, fields have gotten muddy, uh, snow is out there. The crop doesn't look good in snow, does it? No, I think you hit the nail on the head, too. We've had some weather issues with an early snowfall here in the Midwest. And uh, when you total up the acreage, when you look at the USDA harvest progress on corn and beans, it's roughly 5 million acres of, of corn and a little over 5 million acres of beans yet to be harvested as of Sunday. So I think anytime you're talking about those volumes of bushels still in the field, it's something to be aware of. While the farmer, of course, worries about it as an individual, worries about that crop that he or she has out there, it generally isn't all that significant in the whole scheme of things, is it, at the end of the day? Probably more localized in terms of some regional impact, but but you're right. We still that means we got 95 percent of the crop harvested, which is uh, obviously those folks are fortunate to have that crop in the bin and tucked away. Feel really good about that. But in terms of a market mover in the big picture, no, I think you're correct. It's it's more of a a local thing that that's very important to those folks, but nationwide not so much. A buddy asked me the other day. He said, "Well, are those producers just storing it out there over the course of the winter, storing it on the plants?" I said, "Well, that's a that's a risky proposition." We do have, it did remind me, we do have some unconventional storage going now. It, it's happened before, Max, certainly not something that most producers would want right. to think about, of course, over the winter. But they've gone through it before, corn especially these days, um, you know, is, is a stout crop and could weather that. But uh, hopefully we get the, these crops finished before the end of December. But what he prompted me to think about it was that crop that's stored out there in bags, for example, now. And you notice that as you're going down the countryside or flying over it at a low altitude. A big deal this year. Max, something that's unprecedented in terms of the volume of bushels that's being stored in those uh, those bags. It's something that the producers and elevators have gotten more comfortable with this year. Aside from our trade of soybeans with China, how is trade? I mean, how are we doing with the other Asian nations, uh, uh, other customers that buy from us routinely? You know, look at the soybean market, Max. When you have uh, Brazil basically now exclusively providing beans to China, our shipments to other destinations are quite strong. The problem with beans is that China is such a large buyer that that's really impacted the market, of course. But but with the removal of, of Brazil competition to these other areas, whether it be Mexico or, or Japan, whoever it may be, or, or other Asia, um, that's great news for in terms of getting that market built. But Again, without China, then that, the exports overall suffer. This is a limited window of opportunity, too, is it not, ahead of the arrival of the 2019 South American crop into the marketplace? It certainly is. A record-fast planting progress of beans in Brazil, a record-fast development progress in beans in Brazil. Our consultant is saying we could see harvest in the early areas of Brazil as early as before har- before Christmas. Before and Christmas before in Christmas, some of the early areas. Some of those beans, after the local crushers have got their fill, could be moving into the export market as early as mid-January. Wow. There are no weather problems down there at the moment, are there? No. The only thing is a little bit of, of, of wet weather moving in here, but 
um, some of those beans, Max, as your listeners know, are in the pod set and pod fill. What weather is good for beans, as we all know here, when in that uh, July-August time period? Let me ask you about ethanol. And it's been on my mind here of late as I pull up to the pump and fill up with E85. I use it faithfully. I like the fuel. Uh, my my particular pickup truck handles it very well. I like supporting the American corn grower. I fill up in that uh, Silverado every time with E85, and I've loved watching the price come down. How is the demand for ethanol? Well, uh, we, we look at the ethanol from the big picture, Max. I think uh, the ethanol margins are struggling right now for a combination of factors, whether it be input costs, uh, natural gas, of course, spiked here, a lot of lot of variables in play. But regardless, the variable, the margins for ethanol plants are struggling right now. And we're seeing that finally um, translate into reduced utilization in some of these plants. And even a handful of plants um, shutting down operations, uh, albeit maybe temporarily, maybe permanently, but we'll see. Have the exports fallen back a little bit? Is that part of the pressure? Do you know? I haven't tracked the ethanol exports, uh, to, be con- uh, to be honest, Max. Because earlier this year, I know they were doing pretty well. Yeah, they had been doing well, but it's not something that I track really closely. Uh, but uh, something, that obviously, is another factor to watch. Feed demand, of course, becomes a factor, too, that you watch closely. And we'll get a new reading by the end of December on what's happening in the nation's hog herd with a new quarterly hogs and pigs report. But that thing with the swine fever in China has a lot... A lot of folks saying it has explosive capabilities there. In other words, if it continues to spread and they continue to cull the herd in China, tens of thousands of hogs, it has ramifications in maybe more than one way around the world. One variable that might temper that a little bit, Max, is we, as your listeners know, we got a big surprise in the WASDE report here early in November when they revised the Chinese stocks of corn and wheat dramatically higher in the case of corn. So whether those stocks are very old or not, that's another issue. Whether they're usable or not is another issue. But certainly, yeah, if, if China is, is looking at uh, contracting their herds, that's going to contract the demand for soybeans and soybean meal um, moving forward potentially. It's something we don't want to ignore because the volume of hogs and, and the volume of, of uh, meal that's consumed in China is tremendous. Longer term, if that pork herd contracts in China, in what is the biggest pork-consuming nation of the world, and where some people believe that that is such a strategic commodity, strategic food that the people will demand, one would think that our demand for pork from the United States would be ratcheted up, that producers would continue to expand production as they already have here, and that would help domestic demand for grains. Yes, uh, we've seen that. As a matter of fact, in the, in the hog futures recently, we've seen a spike associated probably large part with some speculative thoughts on that impact. We have seen those deferred 19 hog futures contracts spike, so yes, that would be a potential export market for U.S. pork and potential demand, more demand for U.S. corn domestically to feed our hogs. Looming rep- Reports coming up. Obviously, we don't get the final production figures on this year for corn and soybeans until the month of January. What about December? Is there anything you're looking for? And, of course, we get uh, spring wheat plantings reports, I believe. Do we not in January? Yeah, there'll be a big day January. I believe it's January 11th, Max. A Friday the 11th will be a very big day. Quarterly stocks report, supply demand report, final production, and winter wheat seeding. So, but for December, I think the biggest thing the market will be watching will be South American updates. What are the size of these? Will the USDA tweak? Some of these South American production numbers are already edging higher for Brazil. Uh, USDA is at 120.5. Some people are saying it could be closer to 123, 125 for Brazilian soybean production. Mm-hmm 
might be a bit premature for USDA to be that aggressive, but that'd be something to watch. You talk to a lot of farmers on a daily basis, I know, and then when you're out visiting at meetings, what's the sentiment? What's the attitude that uh, you pick up on right now with trade being such a big deal, prices being so low, bankers watching so closely? I don't want to overgeneralize, Max, but I think 2018, when everything is wrapped up, if, if producers are, are, are smart about their marketing, could be a solid year. It may not be a great year, but it's not going to be a, a very disastrous year for a couple reasons. Number one, the yields in many cases, again, not universally, but in many cases, the yields were well above what producers are expecting. Number two, in the case of soybeans, the MFP payment. And uh, so when you add up the bushels times the yield, you know, again, looking at the opportunity for a solid year. The concern that I'm hearing over and over again now is 19. When you look at the December 19 corn, November 19 beans, the possibility of not getting an MFP payment in 2019, a lot of moving pieces there. We don't know, of course, any idea what yields might be. But right now, uh, the 19 prospects are, are on producers' minds, front and center. With the struggles of this year, there will be a lot of people uh, pleased to be able to close the books and uh, turn the calendar from 2018 to 2019. Let's hope and pray that the year ahead is a better one than this one. Hope it is for you, too, Brian. Good to see you. Always good to visit with you, Max. Brian Basting from Advanced Trading, Bloomington, Illinois. And our thanks to Max and Brian for that report this week. Time now to talk about the turmoil in the marketplace and its impact on futures and options trading. And for that, we turn to Tim Andreessen of the CME Group in Chicago. And Tim, with all of the turmoil in the market, how has the futures and options markets at CME been impacted? As you would imagine, as markets get more risky, people are more interested in risk management. So this has been a year where you know, we started the year off with expectations that would be pretty benign. And then we started having production problems in Australia. We had production problems in Argentina. Uh, as you point out, we had geopolitical trade issues. And so what we've seen is we've seen you know, a significant increase in terms of people using risk management products. This year, for the first time, we exceeded 2 million contracts of open interest in our corn contract and 10 million contracts across all of our agri- agricultural products. And you know, these are open interests or people putting positions on and holding those positions to manage their risk. So are we seeing it beyond crops like dairy? Are we seeing activity there too? Yeah, we're, we're seeing growth across the board, although things like dairy aren't as, you know, some of the time they're not as directly impacted. If you think about dairy producers in the U.S., the, the pricing mechanism is very tied um, domestically to some of the government programs. I can't begin to tell you how it all works. Dairy is a yeah, bit right. of a maze to me, but it, it definitely in terms of particularly the global products, global benchmarks like corn, soybeans, and wheat, you know, we're seeing a, a significant uptick. We had one really interesting thing happen. Um, you know, when uh, a lot of these this trade disputes started to break, um, we had a record day. And what was unique about that record day is before the markets here opened, so during our overnight period, we'd already traded almost 900,000 contracts. So what that's telling you is it's not just the U.S. that's using our product. Our products are being used globally as risk management tools. When I came to Chicago in 1960, the Merck was the butter and egg market. 
but you have gone so much international. Are, are you trading in every country of the world that's in agricultural production? Well, I don't know if we're in every country, but I would be surprised if you would find any country with major agricultural production and that has a, a, a reasonably developed marketing system where our products aren't being used one way or another, either as a benchmark for price discovery or a hedging tool, or even in many cases where you have a, a, a country where the market participants that are buying from producers there are then in turn hedging on our marketplace. And recently you made news with the acquisition of a new trading platform in London? So you're referring to the Next acquisition. Yeah. And so Next is a, a, a global um, firm that is much more in the cash markets. They are predominantly in fixed income and FX. And so initially there isn't going to be much impact on agriculture, but uh, we see that as a very significant improvement or uh, opportunity for us to, to grow in the interest rate and FX markets. And are you looking at new agricultural products uh, at CME Group? Well, Orion, we're always talking to our customers about what are the right products and, um, you know, twofold. Number one, the products we have today, what do we need to do to change them to make them more effective hedging tools? And over the last couple of years, you've seen us do a lot of that um, in grain products as well as in the livestock products. But then we're always talking to customers about, you know, where do they have risk and how can CME deliver products to do that? great example is, you know, as, as we look at agriculture, we see some very growing regions, the Black Sea being one of them. And so we launched both a Black Sea corn and a Black Sea wheat contract, which are, um, you know, they're not trading even a fraction of our existing wheat and corn contracts, but for participants in those markets, they're becoming an effective hedging tool. And then there is the story of options. I can remember getting calls from farm listeners saying, What's this options thing? But it's certainly grown, hasn't it? Options are, are a tremendous example of uh, a tool that provides a hedger with flexibility. Yeah. You know, traditional hedging, when you're hedging with futures, you're locking in a price. And if the market goes up or the market goes down, you've locked in that price. And, and that's a good thing because you want that certainty. Um, what options let you do is lock in either a floor price or a ceiling price. Now you're going to pay a premium to do that, but it gives you more flexibility. So as a marketer, when you're in a market where you don't have certainty of where you think the market's going to go, options are an effective tool. And you know we launched those back in 1984. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, we have expanded that portfolio significantly with you know things that are options that are a week long. So it's event risk. Hey, we have a WASDI report coming out. I want some short-term protection. We've launched options on spreads. We've launched serial options. We've launched short-dated new crop options, which are a series of options on the new crop contract on like the December corn or the November soybeans where the time the option covers is less, so therefore the cost to the producer is less. Always interesting to talk to you, my friend. I learned a great deal, Tim Andreessen of the CME Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence.
As I mentioned at the top of the program, this could be quite a weekend in the world of agriculture and Wall Street. Because in addition to the focus we have on the presidential meeting in Argentina, two things happened as we ended this week. The United States, Canada, and Mexico signed a North American trade agreement with President Trump brushing aside concerns that he could face some difficulties getting the deal through the U.S. Congress. The leaders of the three countries agreed on a deal in principle to replace the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, which governed more than $1.2 trillion of mutual trade. This coming after the negotiations concluded on September 30th. But uh, today's signing potentially ends a big source of irritation for the U.S. administration as it pivots to a much bigger trade fight with China that threatens the global economy. Trump had vowed to revamp NAFTA during his 2016 presidential election campaign. He said he'd tear it up and throw it out the window and, and put together a brand new program. And despite a lot of dickering and uh, a lot of other uh, arguments, finally got that done. But Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau still had a few barbs of his own today. He called the deal by its old name, NAFTA, prodded Trump over U.S. steel and aluminum tariffs, and said General Motors' decision to cut production and slash its North American workforce including in Canada, was a heavy blow. And Trudeau said, Donald, it's all the more reason why we need to keep working to remove the tariffs on steel and aluminum between our two countries. Mexico's outgoing president, Enrico Peña Nieto, was a little warmer. On his last day in office, he said the new deal was forged with the firm belief that together we are stronger and more competitive. Well, once again, that's our time on what has been a very eventful week and probably facing another more eventful week. Thank you for joining us. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson on The Market, sponsored by the CME Group. 